The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is your host today is Mary Woods, and I hope you're all having a great day. Um, today we're going to talk a lot about recovery and what supports recovery, and we're, we have the pleasure of having a, as a guest today um, Steve Herndon, who is the president and co-founder of Safety Net Recovery, which is a long-term sober structured living community for men, and Steve is, has a and his long-term partner, Taylor Hagen, um, put together Safety Net Recovery in 2009, and they have a team of professional counselors that provide support and structure and guidance to each individual, giving them the best opportunity to learn and practice the spiritual principles of recovery. Steve is a licensed as a Level 2 Certified Addiction Counselor and a Certified Clinical uh, Supervisor. He's also a very talented public speaker and um, a former uh, star in the National Football League. He played for the Dem- Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons, and Steve's very happy with last night's results. So welcome to the show, Steve. Mary, thank you so much. Those were extremely kind words. I don't know if you could put star and NFL in, in the same sentence when you mentioned Steve Herman, but um, I'll, I'll take it when I can get it. So thank you very much for having me. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. So let's talk a little bit about what is a sober home and why is it important um, to have that as part of the continuum of, of recovery? So a lot of people, uh, especially in the news, there's this uh, big big misconception because of all the bad publicity that uh, a number of sober homes uh, get in the news, and that is there's no structure, there's no accountability, uh, there's no drug testing, and um, and that's very unfortunate because there are places like Safety Net Recovery across America that that really help an individual not only solidify the work that they did in treatment, but really there's there's the potential for them to have a successful long term recovery skyrockets through the roof when they're in a place like so uh, like Safety Net where you're getting uh, you know not only uh, woke up every single morning. Um, and, and having curfew checks every single day of the year. But there's, a, there's just a, a level of accountability that goes way beyond just that, uh, that w- which includes drug testings. Uh, we do one-on-one individual therapy sessions. Um, we have community meetings. We have big book meetings. I mean, I can go on and on and on. We have a staff of 10 just here in our Atlanta location uh, for our 60 residents, uh, our clients that live here in Atlanta. So, a lot of attention and detail is gone in, into each individual while they're here. Uh, and then and then you add in the fact that 
you know, we ask for a six-month minimum. When you add the six months into uh, a 30-day, 60-day, or 90-day residential treatment program, you're really, really, really helping that individual uh, as far as their opportunity to succeed for long-term recovery. Um, and, and, and we really accredit that to, to the uh, structure uh, and accountability that we put in place here at SafetyNet. Do the men work while they're in your sober home? Yes, ma'am, they do. And that is one of the requirements. Uh, if you have to either be uh, employed, going to school, or you have to have a volunteer schedule. And you do that at a, we, we require that they have a minimum of 12 hours a week doing some sort of volunteer work, even while they're looking for employment or looking to, to go back to school. So, again, that's just part of that additional structure. Uh, I mentioned the drug testing. Not only do we drug test for uh, a number of just the basic, uh, you know, six or 12 panel stuff, we test for a gazillion of these synthetic drugs. We also did a, do medication compliance. So a lot of times in a sober living environment, someone might go into a, a clinical depression and it may take a counselor, uh, you know, several weeks before they can really notice it. But we're able to monitor that with the medication compliance through drug testing. And that's something that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know a lot of other places that do that. And we try to, we try not to let 72 hours pass without, without collecting a urine sample, not only for the safety of, of that particular client, but, but also for the safety of the community as a whole. So, um, again, it's just, it's just one more stopgap in place to really help support that individual while they're trying to get a foundation built for their recovery. So what made you decide to open up a sober living house? So, um, as you mentioned, you know, I played six years in the National Football League. I played four years with the Denver Broncos. I was uh, very blessed to be able to come home and, and play two years here in, with the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, I, I, was, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic from day one. Um, but things got pretty heavy for me. Uh, probably about midway through my NFL career, and I got I had like some injuries that started to mount on me, and uh, I got pretty heavy into opioids. Um, and pretty much any kind of opioid that you put in front of me, I would eat it. And I did, I did eat the medication out of necessity, uh, you know, to maintain uh, my ability to stay on the field. But uh, I also took the medication um, at, a, at a, an alarming rate. And uh, so anyway, that... <laughs> That I ended up in treatment in 2006, and um, when I got to treatment, I met this guy, and he and I just hit it off right away, and um, he ended up going to sober living <clears throat> after doing 90 days at this treatment center, and I ended up following him to this sober living, and even though I had a degree from the University of Georgia, I really didn't know who I was or what I was going to do with my life, and as I was finding my way... Uh, my case manager at the time said, you know, you really ought to think about getting into this field. I think you have a lot to offer. I think you'd be really good at counseling people. And so that's kind of what I did. I, I, I set out to become a certified addiction counselor. And <clears throat> at the time, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was unethical for me to even be doing this. But at six months sober, I was actually doing night checks uh, at this sober living uh, community where, where we were staying. And um, I did an internship at a treatment center. And so me, me and this gentleman that, that I met in treatment, <clears throat> excuse me, we became the best friends. And 
we said, you know what, he, he was a former United States Marine, and I was, uh, you know, a former NFL football player, and we just really hit it off. And um, we decided that we were going to do it together. And so um, one of our core values here at Safety Net is, is can't fight love, and that's the story of, of when Taylor and I kind of had it out. Um, I did not realize at the time that Taylor had gone into a clinical depression. I thought he was actually using. He was a... Uh, he just so happened that uh, he w- he had was pretty good at manufacturing and distributing methamphetamines, and so I just assumed that that's what he was doing again. I thought he was using, and so I had him drug tested for about two weeks in a row, and finally on, on about that fourteenth day, he came in and there was a, a drug test cup on the bed, and he called the resident manager. It was pretty worked up, you know, what's going on? This is, you know, this is bull. I can't believe I'm being drug tested again. The resident manager said, you need to go talk to, to, the, to the big guy. And that, that was me. Uh, and at the time, I was about 315 pounds, and I was out uh, at the kitchen table working my four-step, and here, come, here comes Taylor, my business partner and, um, and, and, and friend for the last uh, 10 years. He, at the time, he comes walking out, and he was probably about 150 pounds, so you can imagine... 150 pounds, uh, and I was uh, a good 315, and, and he said, get your big you-know-what up. And so I looked around like, is he really talking to me? And uh, so I stood up, and we got face-to-face, and, uh, you know, he, he, he proceeded to, to, to go into his rant about, you know, uh, snitches get stitches, and I can't believe you couldn't just come talk to my face. And I said, listen, man, I've been trying to talk to you for two weeks, and you hadn't heard a word I said. And at that very moment, we both, you know, former United States Marine, former NFL football player, we were both in fight or flight. And, um, you know, God had a different plan that day. He reached down and, and, and put his hand on me. And uh, I proceeded to hug Taylor and tell him, uh, you know, that I loved him and I was scared he was going to die. And, and that's the story of Can't Fight Love. And that's really, that was the day that uh, the Safety Net logo, if you've ever seen it, is the two men in the net. And uh, mm-hmm. that was really the day that the two men in the net were born. Uh, Taylor and I ended up uh, running the sober living community where we were living at the time. And then uh, seven and a half years ago, really out of necessity, we started Safety Net Recovery. The place we were working um, went belly up and uh, there were some things going on behind the scenes that he and I were not aware of. And really the long story short was uh, his dad uh, worked at Lockheed for 40 plus years, had 40 plus years in the program, and he believed in who we were and what we wanted to do. And uh, he put up the initial capital for us to to start Safety Net, and and that's that's the long version. But that's that's how I got into the field, and and that's how we decided that you know sober living was was what we wanted to do because it, it had been so successful for the two of us. So. That's an amazing story. You know, I think oftentimes we don't realize the power of that relationship and the power of friendship. And, you know, um, I was at a conference this summer and they said addiction is about disconnection and it's about isolation and recovery is about connection mm-hmm. and it's about community. And I, and I think that's a great example of that. Yeah, it is so true. And, it, and I think you said it, the last word you said is it, community. It, it Truly, recovery truly is about community, and you know that's what we really try to instill here with our guys here at Safety Net. Um, is that you know we can counsel all day long, uh, we can put up all kind of you know safety measures to to keep you guys in check with 
curfews and wake-ups and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the, the community is only as solid as the group of men that are in it. And working together and holding, loving, loving another man enough to, to actually call him out and say, hey, man, I'm concerned about you. Uh, you know, you've been acting very strange, you know, to, to, to really go to that length. Because I know, you know, as, as a former athlete uh, at any level, whether it was high school, college, or pro, the last thing that I did was ask for help. You know, I always had to figure it out on my own. And so for me, uh, one of the biggest obstacles about addiction was, was learning that the only way I was going to beat it was to ask for help. And, you know, that's one of the things about the community is it, 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 people, when I get the question all the time from parents, they say, well, well you know, my son's not going to have transportation. You know, how's he going to get around? And I said, well, that's actually a great question. And that's one of the ways we as men learn how to ask for help is to ask another man for a ride. And, and it seems so minute, but it's actually so big in the whole grand scheme of things because it's just like, you know, safety net, our core philosophy is to get a sponsor, work the 12 steps and have a spiritual experience. And people, I get, I get it all the time. People say, well, why do you have to call your sponsor every day? And I said, well, you know, when I was in early recovery, I didn't know how to wipe my behind. So that in the very beginning, you know, I'd call my sponsor and say, how do I wipe my behind? You know, and, and then and then I would just go on and on and on. It was like learning how to live all over again, you know. And uh, and so having that community atmosphere where we can lean on each other and ask for help is just absolutely critical. And thank you. We'll be right back to talk more about um, recovery and, and sober living after this commercial. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The Power to Create Yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there. And together, we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. 
It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Steve Herndon, who is the president and co-founder of Safety Net Recovery with his longtime partner, Taylor Hagen. And Steve is a person in long-term recovery, as well as being a licensed certified addiction counselor and a certified clinical supervisor. Um, Steve, before we went to break, I, I was really struck by one of the things you said, which is so true, is that men have a hard time asking for help. But the other thing that was really striking is how comfortable you are talking about about love and about men showing love to other men. And in my experience, because at Westbridge we treat men 18 and over, that's that's a challenge for most men. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the cool things about uh, the guys that that live at Safety Net is they get to see a former NFL football player and former United States Marine on a daily basis uh, embrace who we are uh, and be secure in who we are, but also you know be okay with calling each other out because it is strictly that we call each other out out of love, you know, and 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 that's the only way that that we can truly. Uh, battle the disease of addiction is by by loving one another till till that individual learns to love themselves, and um, it, it, it's vital. See, the disease wants to feed off the isolation, the not asking for help, and we feel like uh, that love is at the forefront of the, the opposite of all that. You know, asking for help. Uh, you know, being able to tell another man, hey, I love you, and, and, and I want you to look in the mirror every single morning when you wake up and say, I'm worthy today, and, and, and love yourself. And uh, those are just some of the basic things that, that we talk about on a daily basis uh, here at Safety Net. I know, like in the Marine Corps, brotherhood is, is really part of, I mean, once you're a Marine, always a Marine. And is there, is there the same type of brotherhood that you see playing sports? I mean, is that where some of this comfort comes from? Is that brotherhood? It, it is. Uh, you know, I, every, every, I can remember there's so many guys that I played with in high school, and, and they may they may or may not say, well, Steve probably doesn't remember playing with me, but uh, they would be mistaken if, if they think that way, because it, it, even in high school, it is ingrained that, you know, it's a brotherhood, and, and it's a team sport, and that's why I love athletics so much, because it teaches us so much about uh, camaraderie and what it means to be unselfish, and um, it's it's a lot of uh, going against everything that addiction is. You know, addiction wants us to be selfish and and to be 
you know, isolate and, and to not count on another person. And, and, uh, and, and in sports, we have to count on the person next to us. You know, I played offensive line and, uh, we used to we used to call it the death death ear when when you would ask the guy next to you, you know what he was going to be doing and he didn't respond and we would call it the death ear because you, you you we would say in the meeting room we would say look man you're giving me the death ear because you're not responding to me I just asked you a question there and you didn't say anything back and so um, I think it's vital that we learn as men to to not only be okay with saying you know what man I love you. But, but uh, you know, again, asking for help and, and, and then getting a response. And, and, if there's, and, and if that individual is not willing to give you a response, talk about, talk about what it is that they're struggling with. You know, why is it that, that you're struggling to, to respond to me? Because I just told you I love you and I'm here to help you. And, and, and what we've found and what we know is that as, as a society as a whole, um, you know, most of us have been... Since we were, you know, five-year-old little boys, we've been ingrained to to not show our emotions, to not cry, um, to not ask for help, all the things that, you know, the disease of addiction feeds off of. And uh, we feel like it's vital here at Safety Net to embrace uh, learning how to ask for help, you know, learning to tell another man, it's okay, you know, I love you, I'm here for you. We we think it's critical. And, and to really try to, you know, mashed down on that stigma that, you know, we were taught at such a young age. Uh, growing up, I never knew my biological father. Uh, and it wasn't until about five years ago, uh, about halfway through my re- the last 10 years of my recovery, that I finally got to a point where I realized that, that he was 18 and I was 28 doing the same kind of things that he was doing. And the fact that he had never been in my life, um, you know, I needed some answers. And, uh, I left my therapist one day and I just picked up the phone and I dialed 411 and the number was unlisted. And so this is how God works. The number was unlisted. And, um, the lady says, you know, I asked for my biological father and the lady says, okay, I'm connecting you now, sir. And, um, the gentleman answered the phone and I said, yeah, can I speak to so-and-so? And she said, or he said, uh, he's not here, Matt. Take a message. I said, yeah, this is Steve Herndon. I'm looking for him. And the guy on the other end said, oh, my God, you're my half-brother. I've been looking for you my whole life. And, uh, you know, I, I met my biological father uh, later uh, a couple weeks after that phone call. And we cried for probably 30 minutes before either one of us could say a word. And I got a lot of answers that day. Uh, as to why I had never seen him, you know, over, over the previous, you know, 30, 30 years. And on Father's Day that year, um, we were sitting in the car and he said, you know, my whole life, I thought you were going to track me down and hurt me. And I said, wow, you know, that's really sad. I said, that's not the case at all. I said, if, if we both die on the way home today, I want you to know that you're a good man and I love you. And, you know, um, I, I just think that's so powerful uh, to, to be able to provide that forgiveness, you know, um, because I know it haunts him every single day that, that you know, he, he, has, he wasn't there, you know, for 30-plus for years. Um, but and, and he can't do anything to change that. All we have is today, you know, and, and to be able to tell him that after, after he's been sitting there for 30-plus years thinking that I want to track him down and hurt him. Um, it was such a relief not only for him, but it was such a relief for me, you know. And uh, so anyway, I uh, 
<clears throat> a lot of that, uh, you know, abandonment and, 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 and fear of showing emotions and all that kind of stuff, uh, it was ingrained in me as well. But I, I think just like anything in life, it's what are you willing to do that you're not willing to do? That's one of my favorite sayings in recovery. And, and I try to ask myself that on, on a daily basis. Uh, you know, what am I willing to do that I'm not willing to do? Well, I'm willing to, I'm not willing to call my sponsor. Well, I need to get willing to call my sponsor or, or I'm probably going to drink and drug again. And the same thing goes with, you know, telling another man you love him or, hey, I'm worried about you. You know, I, if I'm not willing to do that, I need to get willing to do it or ask him for help because, you know, the longer I wait and, I, and, and the more I'm not willing to do that, the, the bigger trouble I'm going to be in. So we, we think it's a vital component here at Safety Men. To, to ask for help. How how long does it take guys to be comfortable with that? Is it just individual? Or? Yeah, I think it's on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, for some guys, it takes years. You know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think you can really put a number on it. I mean, some people walk in the door and they're okay with it. Um, and, I, and I don't think it, it, it has everything to do with, with how you were nurtured as a child. Uh, but I do, I do think that that plays somewhat of a role. Um, I have three children myself. I've got a six-year-old son, a four-year-old daughter, and a two-year-old baby boy. And, you know, every chance that I get, uh, I try to tell them how much I love them and how proud I am of them. And, um, but because, I, you know, I didn't have that at, at, at five years or six years of age. And, and I just want that to be ingrained into them. Um, I started, uh, I started school, uh, this was two or three years ago, and I went into my therapist's office, and he said, what are you doing going to go back to school? And I said, well, I think I'm willing to get another credential or whatever. And he said, you don't need that. He said, what you need to do is you need to be, you need to be a father to your children. He said, your, your kids right now, between now and the age of five, is when they're going to bond with you and connect with you more than any other time in their life. And he said, what you need to be is present for those kids right now. And, uh, and that's something else that we're real big on here at Safety Net is, is having a therapist. You know, the 12 steps are wonderful. I mean, and they, they, they're tried and true. Uh, they've been around for a long time for a reason. But we also are real big into therapy around here. Um, and, and not just because of our own personal experience with therapists, uh, but, but the work that we've seen therapists do with the men that have come through the doors here at Safety Net. In seven and a half years, we've had over a thousand men that we've been very blessed to serve here at Safety Net. And we've seen the work that, that, that the local therapists have done with these men. And, uh, and, and, and so we don't, we don't take credit for, uh, you know, our loving community teaching them everything they know. We, we think it's the combination of, of, of really having a sponsor that, that understands what it means to work the 12 steps. We think it's a loving community and, and a staff. And then we also think it's a therapist that can really, you know, teach them uh, everything about why it is they do the things that they do. So, Steve, you mentioned um, forgiveness. And one of the things about recovery and, and maintaining recovery is the power of forgiveness. And I know many people balk at that, thinking if I forgive somebody that I'm giving in or I'm justifying what was done to me. And I don't think people realize how freeing forgiveness is for the person who forgives. Um, yeah, it really, it really is. And I, I know for a fact it was for me uh, that very day that I did that, you know, with my biological father. But just in, 
in so many uh, situations, you know, the ninth step's all about making amends. Um, and, I mean, there's so many situations. I left a lot of damage over the years uh, of my, you know, the, the, the wreckage of my past. It, 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 there were, I mean, I just, I, I did a lot of damage and uh, I hurt a lot of people. And uh, my, uh, my uh, father-in-law, uh, he, he takes me to, uh, he's taken me ice fishing for years. And he used to take me up to the, it was the, uh, the upper part of Michigan. And, and then we would go through the, the UP and then up into uh, Canada. And, and for years we did that. And I've been with my wife for 17 years. We've been married, 15, coming up on 15. And, uh, and for years we did that, and, and he, he did a lot of things with me, and he was kind of a um, kind of a second dad, if you will, um, to to my stepfather. And uh, and one of the fishing trips that we went on, I was in I was in the midst of an opiate withdrawal, and um, I was hurting pretty bad. And so uh, a friend of mine uh, was with me, and we were both in opiate withdrawals, and we decided that we were just going to tear up the cabin looking for pain pills, and we happened to find them and they were my father, my father-in-law's pain pills. And, uh, and I'll never forget the day that I was sitting in treatment and I realized that I was going to have to tell them the truth. And, but, but at the time I didn't, I didn't have the skill set to realize that I was going to get to make that amends and that it was going to be okay. And, uh, yes, that's, that's one of the, the, the greatest gifts that recovery gives us is the ability, uh, you know, not only to forgive, but to ask for forgiveness and, and to, to be able to say, you know what, I'm sorry. Um, I, at six months over, I went home and I, uh, <clears throat> I made a, about a four hour long amends with my wife. And what I did not know at the time was that I should have went in and said, I'm sorry, honey, but I'm going to make a living to amends with you for the rest of my life. Uh, and, but instead I got done for, with the four hour amends. And, and at the end she said, is that it? And of course I was very upset and I said, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I, I got in the car and I drove back to so my sober living that I was staying at. And, and that's another reason why it's important to be in sober living because had I not had that environment to go back to, who knows where I would have ended up that night. But, but the beautiful thing is that when I, when I pull up my driveway tonight, uh, not only will I get to make my living amends with her, but I also get to, to, you know, see my kids and, and, and I, and I can say that my kids have never seen me drunk or high. And, you know, to be able to say that it's everything to me, you know? And, um, so, uh, recovery, recovery gives us a lot, but, but forgiveness and, and, and to be able to forgive is, is so important. And we'll be right back, um, to talk with Steve some more after this commercial break. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms, and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our guest is Steve Herndon, who is the president and co-founder with um, Taylor Hagen of uh, Safety Net Recovery, which is a sober living facility in Atlanta, Georgia. And Steve, you were talking in our last segment about your experience, your own experience, and that with your family. Um, how important mm-hmm. is it to include families in sober living and, and recovery homes? It's it's vital. <laughs> it's um, I mean it's everything because uh, and unfortunately most family members uh, or friends, families, loved ones, whoever, you know, they think that uh, that that the client is just going to go into treatment and get some magical pill that's going to be the end all cure all, you know. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And so that's why we feel at Safety Net that is so vital to include the families. Uh, not just while they're in treatment, but when they get to a safety net. Uh, we do a multifamily here at Safety Net twice a month. Uh, we will also do uh, family sessions uh, when needed. Uh, and then we also, you know, teach our guys about codependency and, you know, how to set healthy boundaries in those relationships. Uh, I shared a little bit with you off the air about my own codependency with my mom and, uh, I share that a lot with the guys that I work with. And so I told you that I, I've been with my wife for 17 years. We've been married close to 15. Um, and uh, so I, I called my mom every single day. I mean, I, and I did my whole life until my therapist one day pointed out to me that that, that was extremely unhealthy. And I, I thought he was absolutely crazy. I was like, what are you talking about? It's my mom. 
And he proceeded to explain to me that essentially I was just, I had been an emotional, uh, you know, sounding board for my mom, you know, all these years. And what that had done was really put a huge divide between me and my wife and our relationship. And, and that was very difficult. I, I re- very vividly remember the day I had to set that boundary with my mom. And it was, it was like this huge breakup. You know, it was, and, and it wasn't that I love my mom any less, but that in order for me to be a true husband and, and spouse to my wife, I had to, to set that boundary and break that codependency with my mom. And, you know, we have to do that a lot with our, with our clients, uh, not just with, with, with their moms, but, you know, it, it could be within a number of different type of settings and relationships. Uh, but it's vital just to really, uh, you know, owning your sobriety as well, because a lot of these relationships, uh, for example, my relationship with my wife, we only knew one way to communicate, and that was the tango. And the tango was not a dance. <laughs> it was a verbal tango. And it was usually um, uh, high-pitched tones and words that, you know, we're not going to repeat on the air. And my my therapist proceeded to teach me how to have uh, an amicable relationship uh, over the phone with my wife. And, and he said, you know, this is going to require some discipline on your part. He said, you know, you have to have a certain tone. And he said, you also have to treat your wife with, with a certain uh, level of respect. You're not going to use words that you, would, you used to use prior to you getting into recovery. You know, you're not going to call her names. And then on the flip side of that, you're going to ask the same of her. And the reason being is because you can't handle it when she does that. And once again, you know, it goes back to, you know, oh, I'm a tough football player. I can handle anything. And the reality was is I couldn't. I couldn't handle anything, especially when my wife, you know, would, would, you know, talk to me in a certain tone. I just couldn't handle it because it brought up all the shame and guilt of all the horrible things that I had put her through over the years. Um, and so we talk to our guys on a regular basis about how do, how we deal with our family and, you know, how we deal with friends and loved ones and just how much shame and guilt that can be brought up in just kind of everyday casual conversation, uh, even if it's not uh, a strained relationship, um, just, but, but just how much uh, shame and guilt can be brought up in, you know, how was your day today? Uh, because, you know, most of us, we did, we have a lot of wreckage that we're trying to clean up. And so what we try to do is, is, is talk to our guys about setting healthy boundaries, maybe limiting phone calls to once a week, um, and, and kind of putting some measures in place so that, so that our guys can really go focus on their recovery. They can go to meetings, you know, get with their sponsor, work the steps, go to a therapist, because, you know, if, if you're doing all those things, then you get a phone call that totally disrupts the process, and all of a sudden you're reliving all the shame and guilt that you've had, you know, over the last ten years. Then you're, you're gonna you're gonna regress. You know, um, there's a wonderful book, and I can't think of the name of it right this second, but it talks about emotional regression and how most of us in recovery we have these these you know, uh, spots in our recovery where we emotionally regress. And, you know, that's, that's not something that we want our guys doing. We want our guys focusing on their recovery and on themselves. And, and that's very hard to do when you're trying to, 
to keep everybody on the outside happy because, um, you know, it's an inside job. And, and that's the one time that, that we tell our guys, you can be selfish. When it comes to your recovery, you have to be selfish because no one else is going to do it for you. Well, you can't give away what you don't have either. This is true. You know, um, one of the things I was thinking about um, when you when you first started talking about your own addiction is, I mean, right now we're in the throes of an opioid epidemic all across the the, the country, and and one of the things that we are finding here is um, how to treat pain. I mean, some of the folks mm-hmm. that we've worked with come in with chronic pain, but then people have acute pain. They have kidney stones. They have toothaches. They right. have other things, right. and. Um, and I'm just wondering, and this is just because I, I love to watch football, but how much, how much pain, I mean, does people's pain thresholds change when you have it all the time? Because you, you mentioned you had to have the medicine to play for pain. I, I read one of Joe Namath's biographies, and he drank in, in college to deal with right, the pain that right. he was having in college in, in Alabama. So, I mean... How, how do you manage that, especially if you are a pro athlete? You know, so that's a great question, and um, and I get that question quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of things that you that you have to do, uh, and then there's a lot of things that you can't do. Um, one of the things that I do is, is I take Celebrex, which is an anti-inflammatory, and um, I can vividly remember when they took Vioxx off the market because that was when the Vioxx was a, a very lethal anti-inflammatory and, and, and it was killing people. Uh, but it was an amazing anti-inflammatory in, in that, I mean, it took all the pain away. Uh, and, and so when, when they took Vioxx off the market, that's when my uh, pain pill consumption really started to take off. Um, and so today, obviously not taking opioids, uh, I take a Celebrex. Um, I take, uh, I take, uh, baclofen for muscle spasms and that's pretty much about it. I take a Tylenol if necessary. Now on the flip side of that, I used, when I got done playing football, I was, you know, like I said, 315 pounds. One of the great pleasures that I got was going and running and working out. And as I've gotten older, some of those football injuries have started to creep back in. And so I mean, literally, my, my spine specialist uh, and my wife, I've been put on running restriction, you know, and, and, and that's, not, that's not something I can go do anymore because typically what happens is I'll go run several miles. Uh, I might be okay the next day. I might do it again the, the following day, but then, you know, my back is spasmed up and, and I, can't, I can't walk for a couple of weeks. And, and so there's just certain things that I'm not able to do that I, that I miss dearly, but, but I, I just have to be smart about you know, what I, what I can and cannot do. And, uh, I'm pretty limited to just swimming. Uh, I can do some, some light lifting, but for the most part, uh, I'm limited to swimming and, and a little bit of elliptical and, uh, you know, there's no more running for me. And there's, there's some sadness in that. I'd be lying if I said there wasn't. Um, but you just have to really be smart about, you know, the fact that, you know, Hey, I'm getting older and, and some of those football injuries are, are going to linger, um, you know, and, and there are rare exceptions where there, there may, you know, be somebody that, you know, for long-term uh, quality of life, they may have to be on something. Um, but, you know, for me, I just know that, that that's not an option, and, and I pray that, that I never have to visit that day. 
Do you think the vast majority of people that play professional football end up with long-term aches and pains and injuries? Yeah, I I think without a doubt. I mean, you know, if if you played uh, one year or ten years in the National Football League, that means you played, you know, high school football. That means you played college football. Uh, so I played four years of high school football. I was at University of Georgia for five years because, because I got redshirted. And then I had six years in the National Football League. That's a lot of pounding on your body, um, you know. And, and so, you know, everybody's kind of freaked out with the concussions and the CTE. Uh, but, you know, even more so are just the, the, like you're talking about the aches and pains, you know. I get up every single morning and it's like I've got a I've got a herniated L four L five in my lower back. I've got a pinched nerve in my neck, both of my knees. Uh, I have maltracking of the kneecap, and so both of my knees ache. Um, and and that and that's one of the biggest things for me is just it's, it's the kind of the daily grind of just knowing that that's just part of the process and that's just the way it is. Um, and and you know going and trying to take something to make that pain go away is not an option for me today. Um, you know, I have to stick to my anti-inflammatory and, you know, my, my non-narcotic muscle relaxer and, and that's, and that's about it. And I think once I get, you know, once people get their brain wrapped around that and realize that this is just the way it's going to be, and I've got to be smart about not going out and trying to run five miles, you know, they can have a, a, a really good, solid, uh, you know, productive life. I think a wise man once wrote that acceptance is the key to all of my problems today. Yeah, yeah that's a fact. And we'll be right it, back after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. 
Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Steve Herndon. Um, Steve, I know in addition to your work at SafetyNet, um, one of your missions in life is to is to educate and to kind of spread the word about recovery and about um, addiction and, and recovery from addiction. And, and I know I, I first saw you speak at the National Conference on Addictive Disorders, um, I think it was last year. I'm kind of time yes, flies. That was in yeah, and and I know that uh, that you know going around to speaking is one of the things that you like to do and you're available to do. So, how can people get in touch with you, and where might they see you speak in the near future? So, anybody that would like to get a hold of me, uh, my cell phone's everywhere, so I don't mind giving that out. Six seven eight four six eight one six seven eight. You can also reach me at Stephen. S-T-E-V-E-N at safetynetrecovery.com uh, or you can just go to the SafetyNet website safetynetrecovery.com um, and, and you can track me down that way. Uh, you can follow me on any of my social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram or both uh, Herndall, P-T-R-N-D-O-G and uh, you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Herndon. But I'll, uh, I'll be speaking in Nashville this weekend, uh, and it's called uh, Athlete to Attic, and it's put on by a guy named Nashville Levine, who's a great interventionist, and he does a lot of great work in our, in our field. Um, and he asked me to come talk to high school and college kids about the, uh, you know, this, this, this opioid epidemic that we're going through. And so many of these young kids are just not aware that, you know, they get a new sprain, they go to a doctor, they get a, a bottle of Lortab, and the next thing you know, they're doing heroin. And the thing that I, uh, I want to talk to these kids about in Nashville this weekend uh, is just kind of, you know, what to look for. You know, and if you, if you see your buddy uh, and it looks like they're struggling, whether it be, you know, drinking too much or pain pills or whatever it may be, you know, ask for help uh, or, or ask them, hey, do you need help or how can I help you? You know, and that, and that goes back to what we were talking about, I think, in the first segment, was just really learning how to ask for help. Uh, one of the other things that uh, my business partner and I have been blessed to do is we, we, we've been asked to host all the C4 conferences over the course of the year, uh, the first one being the AXIS uh, Executive Conference down in Naples, uh, and that is going to be the 29th through the 1st, I think, uh, January 29th through February one. Uh, then we will also be out at the West Coast Symposium, uh, and that is in June. We'll be down at the fourth conference uh, on, on Amelia Island. That's in July, and then we end up uh, up in Cape Cod, and that is in September. So um, you can certainly find us at, at any and all of those conferences, and uh, 
there's a lot of other little things here and there that I'll be doing. But again, uh, if you, if you want to find me directly, uh, 678-468-1678, and you can certainly go to, uh, safetynetrecovery.com and, and check me out there. So, um, I, just in the last couple minutes, you know, um, pain is such a part of life and, um, obviously everybody is eligible for pain, but certainly people that play sports are, get their more than their fair share. And, um, we're, you're going to go talk to a bunch of young, younger people that are athletes and they're getting banged up. So what is the message to them? What do you say to them? Because you've got a, a physician telling them, oh, here, take this. So how do you counter that? You know, for me, it's, it's, it's about the denial mechanism and, you know, all the things that I was able to accomplish in the midst of my addiction. And really it's more about, you know, just, just know your body because nobody knows your body like you. And, you know, just because the doctor prescribes it doesn't mean you have to take all the pills. You know, obviously, if you're in pain and you take it as prescribed, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But you just never know what that could turn into. Um, and, and, you know, with all the things that I was blessed to accomplish, you know, over my, over my playing career, I always look back and say, but what if? You know, what, if, what could I have done had I not been drinking and drugging the way I was during, during my playing days? And so that's going to be my message to the kids is, is you know, just look after one, one another. And, and, but most importantly, look after yourself because nobody's going to look after you like you will. And just because the doctor's written a prescription, it doesn't mean you have to take them all. And I, and I think that's the, the big misnomer is that, you know, hey, I've got a bottle of 30 Lortaz, the doctor wrote me for my knee, but I need to take them all. And that's not the case. It's not like an antibiotic, you know, where, where you need to take, take the, the prescription the way, exactly the way it's written. Um, you know, uh, you, just because he gave you 30 Lortaz, if your knee's not hurt anymore, you shouldn't take the Lortaz. Uh, and, that, and that's going to be my message. It's just really, uh, you know, I'm all about uh, self-awareness. I think in recovery that, that, that the more more in tune to who we are and why we do the things we do, uh, the more we're in tune to that, the better off we're going to be as far as maintaining long-term sobriety. I, I think the same thing applies to everyday life. And, and when it comes to athletes, uh, know your body. Know when you're really hurting and when you're not hurting. You know, the biggest thing is, is when a doctor writes the prescription, if the pain goes away, how do you know if it truly goes away if you continue to take the medication? You know, and, and if you don't allow your, your body to naturally heal, then that's where it's going to become dependent on that pain medication for, for you just to be able to get up out of a chair and walk around. And so that's, that's really going to be my message is just to really be in tune with, with, with how your body feels and, and, you know, treat yourself the way you deserve to be treated. Just because you were given a prescription doesn't mean you have to run out and abuse it, you know. And so that, that's really going to be my message. It's just a love on them. Just like we do here at Safety Net, I'm, I'm going to love on them and, and, uh, and tell them it's okay to, to love on each other. And Because uh, I, I know that's another big issue. You know, we talk about peer pressure a lot when we talk about high school and college athletes. Um, but what about loving on each other and, 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 and being okay with that, you know, and looking out for one another? And, that, and that's really going to be my message. So, Steve, what about the other side of it is, is that I get injured. Let's say I'm a really good, 
I don't know, um, let's say, you know, you're like you, you're a really good offensive lineman, you're doing, you did great in uh, high school, you've got a scholarship, and and now you're your first year at school and you're injured, and if you don't play, the next man up plays, and then your scholarship is at risk. So is that a, is that a concern too? It is a concern, but again, you, you've got to, to look at the long term. You know, I mean, you can't just say, well, I have to be on the field or, or I won't be here anymore. You, you've really got to look at your long term future and what kind of side effects, you know, uh, that's going to have down the road. And to me, that, that's more important than, than getting the quick fix to try to make the coach happy. At the end of the day, you know, the coach isn't going to be there 30 years from now when you're staring at yourself in the mirror and, and you've got to make yourself happy. Um, and that's what you really need to be focused on, not, not you know, getting on the field in that very moment. And I, and I don't think people are aware of that, especially these young kids. Uh, I think they need to hear somebody say that. You know, one of the things that I always say to, to, to a group of young people like this is, you know, most of you are probably sitting in here and you're saying, okay, here's another crackhead. He's going to tell us his sob story. And the reason I say that is, is I know someone in here is saying that is because I was that guy. You know, I was kind of, oh, that'll never happen to me. You know, I was the guy who's always said that'll never happen to me. And, you know, look what happened. So, um, you know, I think it's a case-by-case basis. But, you know, again, the, the coach isn't going to be there 30 years from now, and that's what, that's what you really need to be thinking about is, is what are the long-term effects of the behaviors that you're going to be, you know, doing. Steve, thank you so much for sharing this hour with us. It's flown by, and um, uh, thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. And once again, um, the best place to reach you is through your website, which is safetynetrecovery.com. Okay. Have a great week, everybody. Mary, Mary, thank you for having me. Anytime. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.